We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, folks, hour to last hour today as we have a uh, bit of a modified Sports Talk Saturday schedule. 1 p.m., our uh, our friend, uh, what was it, violently handsome? Was that the word that we used? Absolutely. Threateningly handsome. Threateningly handsome uh, Patrick Malacaro, uh, who I think would only assume his mom is the only person that calls him Patrick, um, will be taking over the broadcast for the Bisons, who will be uh, first pitch at, I believe, just after 1 o'clock um, here on WGR and over on our sister station, the Bet 1520. You can hear UB football as well. And just a quick update from the Ryder Cup. The U.S. has now taken three matches in our are now leading in three matches. Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, they're up two over Paul Casey and Tyrell Hatton. We've got Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth have now gained a stroke and are now up one over Victor Hovland and uh, Brett Weisberger. And then Xander Shifley and Patrick Hantley, they're up two over Lee Westwood, Matthew Fitzpatrick. And the Kepka Burger Group just keeps throwing up on themselves. They're down two to Rom and Garcia. Let's go back to the Western Hotline now because my man Ryan Talbot... Um, First of all, Ryan, before we even get into Bill's um, Bill's Washington football team, what are you doing today for this Notre Dame-Wisconsin game, a.k.a. the Jack Cone revenge game? I'm watching it with um, my dad, actually. You know, he's uh, he, likes Penn, he likes Penn State first and foremost, but Notre Dame's been his second team. So watching the game with him here in a few minutes, so looking forward to that. Hoping Notre Dame pleasantly surprises, uh, surprises me in this game. So you are not expecting Notre Dame to win this game? I've watched enough Notre Dame to know that uh, in these kind of matchups, they don't usually turn out too uh, too well in their favor. Here's what I'll say, Ryan. If if for nothing else, oh my God, the gloriousness of those jerseys that I'm that I'm watching just go on the field right now with the little arm, the the Notre Dame with the two gold stripes with the white stripe in the middle. That is as sexy as it gets for Notre Dame. Um, no names on the back. Like it just this is. This matchup of jerseys right now with throwback Wisconsin jerseys. I don't love the numbers for Wisconsin, but man, Notre Dame's jerseys are as good as it gets, man. Oh, they, they do have some great jerseys today. Some of these other throwback ones. So you know that that is one thing that they have going in their favor. Speaking of uh, running games that haven't gotten it figured out, we'll talk that that's been Notre Dame this year. They're one of the best running attacks last year in the country and just have not been able to get the ball rolling um, out of the backfield this year with two really good running backs in Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. But you look on for this Bills matchup, um, Ryan, maybe the best most efficient running attack we've seen from this team over the past two seasons was last week against the Dolphins. How much of that is just going up against the Dolphins' defense that maybe isn't as equipped to defend the run? Um, And maybe how much of this really is just that this Bills offensive line took a big step last week, particularly in the run game, and finally opened up some holes for Devin Singletary and Zach Moss? I think it's a little mix of both. I mean, listen, John Feliciano week one was beaten early and often in his matchup, and he 
came out and said that he was going to be more prepared for week two in that. And he had, you know, two great run blocks in that game to spring Zach Moss for a touchdown. And then obviously Devin Singletary's first uh, carry that went for a 46-yard score. Uh, Feliciano had a big block there. Mitch Morris has been solid all season. Deion Dawkins was night and day from mm. week one to week two in a good way. Uh, and I think Cody Ford has been a little bit of a pleasant surprise there as well at guard. Still have some questions about the right tackle position and, and Daryl Williams, but the line took a step forward last week. There's no doubt about that. And then obviously I think a lot of the times uh, these, the personnel matchups are going to favor the Bills running the ball a little bit. There's a lot of film on the 2020 Bills out there and how they passed early and often, so you're going to see a lot of teams, right. I think, bring out those extra defensive backs, and they're going to have a light front, a light box, and they're almost going to dare the Bills to run. So it's up to Devin Singletary and Zach Moss when they get these opportunities to break off sizable runs. They don't have to be the 46-yard scores. Obviously, it's great when that happens for the Bills. Uh, but if they can break off six, seven-yard runs here and there, it's going to make the defenses play honest, play up a little bit, and then that will open things up for Josh Allen and company. So I, I asked this to Sal last segment, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the fact that we've seen more, particularly last week, Ryan, of Bill's tight end Dawson Knox than at really we have at any point in his career playing over 80% of the snaps for the first time last week. And, and I think a lot of that was matchup dependent. But I'm wondering how much – I think he's been making some plays, Ryan. Short of that, I just – I wonder how much maybe you see um, this week this team maybe start to go to the well and, and use more of Dawson Knox in their game plan from a passing perspective. It wouldn't surprise me, but like you said, I think it's matchup dependent first and foremost in terms of the overall snap count. He has been a pleasant surprise. He hasn't had any drops yet this year. Uh, the one pass that he hasn't caught, he was playing more of a defensive role to bat it away to make sure nothing happened on it. So uh, had a really nice touchdown catch in the end zone where he, Josh Allen threw a dime on that play too, but he made a nice adjustment sliding to grab that ball, go low. We've seen him drop some balls like that in his career. And I think Dawson Knox has taken the next step in his career. I don't know if he's ever going to be a uh, top 10, top 12 tight end in this league where the, the physical traits tell you he could be. But he's definitely ascending in the right direction there. You, you know, you look at the matchups on a week-by-week basis. I like Cole Beasley this week in this matchup. I think last week, too, you had a factor that even though Gabriel Davis was active in the game, he was nowhere near 100%. So that gave more opportunities to a guy like Dawson Knox in terms of the personnel you wanted to get out there. Uh, little things like that are going to factor in on a week-by-week basis. But it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, see a, a more sizable role this year, especially when you consider the Bills only have two true tight ends on that roster with Reggie Gilliam kind of playing that pseudo-fullback tight end uh, number three. Ryan Talbot here in New York Upstate. Joining me on the Western Hotline, we're talking Bills, Washington football team. What have you seen, Ryan, from this Washington football team Maybe let's start with Taylor Heineke last week, but I think you even probably reversed things a little bit further than last week in his matchup, which I, by the way, Ryan, I thought he played pretty darn well um, last week against the Giants. I thought he kind of carried that offense at times because they, I, I don't think for the most part they've they've given the ball a whole bunch to Antonio Gibson, which could potentially change this week, but I think you got to reverse this thing back into the first round, the wild card weekend of the playoffs, where I think they really gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers make their, their toughest shot um, last season season in that playoff run and that really started with Taylor Heineke they just he gave that 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 Tampa Bay defense fits what have you seen from Heineke that that makes you think that even when Ryan Fitzpatrick is back and healthy that he might have a tough time seeing the field and might be hard to take uh, Taylor Heineke off the field 
Well, one, he, he does a good job of spreading the ball around. You know, sometimes when an inexperienced quarterback comes in, uh, they're locking on one or two guys. Obviously, Terry McLaurin had a great game against the Giants, the number one receiver for Washington. But Humphreys had something like seven receptions for the team. McKissick had a, a great game receiving out of the backfield. He's a, uh, someone to keep an eye on tomorrow. Logan Thomas, he spread the ball around. He, he made sure that all the players that, that he has at his disposal were getting the ball. And he was going past that first read, so he's impressive in that regard. He's a little bit more mobile uh, than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Obviously, I think that he can kind of take off and run at times, or at least elude pressure and, and keep plays alive with his legs. So he does some things pretty well. But you know, we were talking to Sam Fortier of the Washington Post uh, this week on Shout, and he said, when you go back and think about it, though, this is a guy that has about 11 quarters of experience in Washington. And he only had one other start before that when he was in Carolina. All of them have been home games. This is going to be his first true road start of his NFL career. So at Highmark Stadium, it's going to be loud. There's going to be uh, a Bills defense that is significantly better than the New York Giants defense that he faced one week ago. He had some extra time to prepare for this matchup, but I really think that uh, this matchup leans in Buffalo's favor when you consider the fact that he hasn't had a road game yet in the NFL as a starting quarterback. It's a great point. I I'm also sort of interested in your thoughts on on. I know for me as a as a big buyer of Antonio Gibson in fantasy, I've been a little disappointed on the volume of touches he's been seeing. And considering last week you watched uh, J D McKissick, who is this team's primary receiving back, but we were all sort of told that Gibson was going to be a bigger part of the passing offense, more like a Christian McCaffrey, a Delvin Cook, a guy that sees a majority of the touches from the backfield. That hasn't been the case for the first two weeks. He's now he's been a little banged up. What do you expect to see today or uh, tomorrow in that matchup? Do we do we expect to see more Antonio Gibson, or do we think that this is going to be sort of a Two man, two headed horse, uh, or a two headed monster coming out of that backfield with JD McKissick in the pass game and, and Antonio Gibson in the downhill run game. I think it's going to be more of a two headed back uh, backfield tomorrow, just because if the Bills are as aggressive as one week ago, you'd love to have a guy like McKissick back there that can uh, take a quick pass and then really, you know, win those one on one matchups. And I think that the Bills are going to come out aggressive. So McKissick is the, the bigger threat as a receiver. Now, that said, you mentioned it. Gibson was supposed to see an increased role this year as a receiver. He had uh, something around, what, 250 last year as a receiving option out of the backfield. He went over 1,000 yards as a rookie, but at 700-plus were obviously on the ground. So he can catch the ball over 20 receptions last year. This is a dangerous backfield. Throwing, yeah. obviously, even number three, uh, John Patterson, uh, a player that Bills fans and Buffalo fans in general are very familiar with from his time at UB, they can do some damage on the ground. I don't think you're going to see Patterson much, but I think you'll – He'll get an opportunity or two just because, you know, you're going up up against the hometown team. Might be late in the game. Maybe the Bills pull away or vice versa. Anything can happen in the NFL. You might get a few touches, though, just because uh, of where he's at and and how well he has looked when he's had the ball in his hands. But, yeah, I I think it's going to be more McKissick and Gibson is a one-two punch this week. But Gibson, in terms of of the future, he has all the makings of a three-down back. So I think as time goes on, they really figure out how they want to utilize him. It will be more of a one-man show, but right now you might as well utilize McKissick, who is very dangerous as a receiver. You know, Ryan, I've I, I had this conversation with Sal, and I feel like I've been trying to tell anybody that'll listen. I, I'm just I've been so taken back by the 
the progress, the change, the development of AJ Epinesa, it's hard for me to find like another example. There, the two guys on this defense that that really stood out to me last week were Epinesa and Matt Milano, and it might be harder than really any other player I can think of to try to find comps for both of those players. They're just so unique, and it, and and watching AJ play his his junior or senior year, I can't remember which one it was in in, in Iowa, like. That was a player that I think came into the season with a lot of hype and, and just did not really flash the pass rush skills, the athleticism that really warranted a first-round pick. And I'm wondering, if you were to look back, if you could sort of bring back things in time here, do you believe that A.J. Epinesa is a first-round pick if this is the player with the body type and the explosion that we've seen to the first two games this, se- this season, top 10 in pressures? Like, is, is he a bona fide first-round pick, and, and is he in the conversation for an early first-round pick if he's the, this player right now? I think he would be just because of the fact that the explosiveness that we have seen from him these first two weeks, even late last season, that's not the type of player he was at Iowa. There wasn't a ton of explosiveness. It was mostly power. It was mostly uh, just being a better player than some of these uh, offensive linemen that he went against. But he had to change his game and to make it in the NFL to be someone that could look like this player that we've seen through two weeks. So, you know, you almost you don't want to say that his rookie season was, was just kind of like a throwaway year. But for the for him himself, he didn't have a traditional offseason. Most of his early season meetings were over a computer on his Zoom. So he had mm, an abridged training point. camp and a bridge preseason in season. Uh, he's being asked to drop 20 pounds to go from 280 to the 260 range, and he does it. But that's a whole new body type as well. Right. So he had to learn how to play at that weight as well. So spends the entire offseason at that weight, working on his pass rush arsenal, probably finds out, hey, that, that bull rush, that power that I thought I might lose if I dropped 20 pounds, that's still there. But I also have the explosiveness to duck under attack, like you saw on the hit on two of the knock out of the game. I have the... Uh, ability to use my hands and then even go inside on plays now. So I think he's still uh, it's kind of like a, a, a baby deer learning how to, to walk and <laughs> run here. Uh, he, he's learning as he goes on all these things that he can do now at 260 versus 280, and that's a scary thought for opposing uh, offenses to have a, a guy come in week two at this new weight, at this new structure, have nine pressures and 28 pass snaps, uh, create a sack for Greg Rousseau, a sack for Justin Zimmer, caused the turnover and downs on Tua. Uh, He had the intentional grounding penalty on the play where he was bringing down Brissett as well. That's just four of the nine pressures right there, and all of them had big impacts on the game. So he's only going to get better with time, and that really just kind of speaks volumes to what this defensive line or this defensive end position specifically could look look like long-term with Epinesa on one side and Rousseau who cleaned up on a few plays and had two sacks in, in his uh, first road game last week uh, in terms of how bright the future is for this defensive end position. Ryan Talbot on the Western Hotline. We're, uh, we're previewing the Bills in Washington football game tomorrow, which, of course, you can hear right here on WGR pregame coverage starting at 7 a.m. with Breakfast with the Bills Fantasy Style with Lou DiBiase and Derek Kramer and uh, ends with me in the evening at 8 p.m. Uh, with the New Wave Energy Overtime Show. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this uh, this Washington defense, Ryan. I, they've sort of been a conundrum. This was maybe one of the most talked-about defenses. There was an expectation that they 
they might be one of the best defensive lines, if not the best defensive line in football. And through through the first first two games, Ryan, it just has not appeared that way. They have not had the dominance. Uh, Chase Young does not have a sack at this point in, uh, yet in the season. What have you seen from them? And, and obviously, one one of the things they've tried to do to get them in more one on one matchups is try to simply you know blitz more and and give them more one on one matches. But that is not something I, I think they should try lightly against the Bills, as we know Josh Allen really tends to have success, um, especially early on in games against the Blitz. Yeah, I, listen, I think they're going to go into this game and try to win just without bringing pressure. Go to that uh, Pittsburgh blueprint of, hey, if we don't have to bring any pressure and our guys can beat their guys, it's going to bode well for our defense. And, and listen, on paper, this is one of the more talented defensive lines in football. You mentioned Chase Young, Deron Payne, John Allen, Montez Sweat. John Allen's had a really nice year so far. Uh, I think he's already surpassed his sack total from last year. I think I mean, I mean, think he has three through two weeks at the defensive tackle position, which is impressive. So they have a lot of names, a lot of first-round talent, all of them being first-round players or first-round picks. But, again, when we talked with uh, 40A, he said, you know, this, is, this has been a unit that has disappointed through two weeks, and it's been one of Ron Rivera's biggest frustrations because last year – when the defense was playing well, it's because they were getting pressure without sending extra blitzers. That defensive line was getting the job done on their own. So, you know, Buffalo's offensive line, one, yeah, they might have to handle some blitzes coming their way. But first and foremost, they just have to win these one-on-one matchups that they lost so so badly in week one against Pittsburgh show that they are much improved and look more like that unit from week two. And if they can do that, I think it bodes well for Josh Allen because, you know, you mentioned this defense. It, it's up and down. Uh, Justin Herbert threw for over 300 yards in week one, and I know I know the Chargers won that game, but they ended up failing more so in the red zone than anything else. They were one for four in that matchup. Last week, you watched the Giants game, and Daniel Jones has 95 yards and a touchdown on the ground on nine carries. So I think there's opportunities for Josh Allen to run in this game. And I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to, to throw the ball around and really spread it out. So I like this matchup for Josh Allen with the caveat that this offensive line holds up against that defensive front. Last couple of things I have for you, Ryan. I'd like you to to sort of walk me through uh, your mindset about Josh Allen and, and the struggles that you know we've all sort of talked about over the last couple of days, probably at nauseum at this point, um, about Josh Allen and what is potentially the reason behind some of his. I think it's just I think saying it's a slow start's fair. Um, I'm not really willing to maybe get to a point where we're talking about um, this just isn't working or or something along those lines. You know what I mean? Like I, I guess for me, where I struggle with with Josh is this just uh, a lot of what we saw what we've seen through two games this year are a lot of the same things we saw him at struggle with at times last year in the middle of the season, at the beginning of the season, when he's when he goes up against Kansas City and Tennessee in back-to-back games, and he goes up against the Jets and, 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 um, and the Patriots in back-to-back games, and the offense scores one touchdown in two games. Uh, so this is not unlike things we've watched last year. So I'm just, I guess I'm wondering why maybe the freakout's happening this early in the season, knowing that they were going to face two really good defenses to start the year. Well, I think that's the, the first part right there. That they're facing two of the better defenses in that bone back-to-back weeks. Week one, I, I just give, you know, tip the cap to Pittsburgh's defense. They said they weren't going to send heat. They were going to win up front, and they did. And, and Josh Allen was getting hit early and often. He was getting pressured. He, was getting, uh, he wasn't getting a lot of good looks. He was throwing off his back foot. He was throwing, a little, you know, not, not on the run or like scrambling like he does when he has success. I think it was more so someone's in my face and I have to get rid of this ball. So in that matchup, 
he just didn't have the time. I think he, he may have even had a little bit of happy feet as that game went on, rightfully so, with how much he was getting hit. Miami, you, you know, even though it sounds weird to say tip your cap to their defense because they lost 35 to nothing. Uh, but in terms of their coverage in that game, they were night and day from last year in terms of how they played the Bills. And it made sense that they would make some changes in, in terms of how they covered the receivers. I thought they did a really good job bracketing Cole Beasley, bracketing Stephon Diggs. You have Gabriel Davis, who is nowhere near 100% in that game. And that kind of leaves you with, okay, well, there's Emmanuel Sanders, who did have a big uh, reception early in the game, and he had a few other catches here and there. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie and, you know, Jay Kumaro. So when, when you take away those top two guys and one of the other guys is banged up, it, it's kind of hard to uh, spread the ball around and get your, get your guys open. So I think the coverage has been good. And, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier. There's so much tape on this offense because of how many points they put up last year, how efficient they were moving the ball, that now defenses are going to sit there and say, how do we match up with them? What can we do that's advantageous for us? And now it's up to the Bills to kind of go in week by week and, and have a counterpunch for that. So, you know, the slow start is what it is. I, I don't think that this is the Josh Allen you're going to see all season by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, I said this is going to be a, a get-right game for him, in my opinion. But I, you got to see it, though, first. So yeah. I, I'm interested to watch and see how it unfolds. I do think that Josh Allen uh, has some really positive moments tomorrow on the ground and with his arm, and this is kind of one of those, okay, this is the guy that earned that $258 million contract. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. And, and last thing I want to ask you, Ryan, um, is to your prediction as to whether or not we see uh, Tredavious White essentially shadow uh, scary Terry McLaurin on the other side. I think he's turning into one of the league's best young receivers. Um, do you think they just go with a normal game plan and, 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 and keep Trey on one side of the field? Or do you believe him shadowing um, the, 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 young, uh, the young stud at wide receiver for Washington uh, makes sense for them? It makes sense for them, but I wouldn't be surprised they at least start out with their traditional defense, see how they hold up on the opposite side. Um, you know, I know Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are both listed as questionable for this game, but they are full participants on Friday, so that kind of bodes well for them playing. I think that uh, even though Levi gave up some receptions in week one, he had that pass interference penalty called on him where he didn't turn his head around. I thought it was actually pretty good coverage, though, overall. I thought he's been pretty solid so far. I thought he was really good last week before he, he left the game with the injury. Uh, obviously had the big pass breakup where he was then called for taunting and came back and recorded an interception shortly thereafter where he peeled off his receiver because he read the quarterback's eyes. He knew where the ball was going. That's one of those things that we hadn't necessarily seen from him before, and it kind of reminded me of Trey White last year against the Chargers where he peeled off his guy to intercept Justin Herbert in the game. So that's just something that happens with time. I think they have confidence in Levi. So I think they'll start out and just, you know, whatever side Terry lines up on, they'll go with it. But if he's getting beaten early, uh, then, you know, it makes a lot of sense to have Trey White shadow him. There's other talent on that in that receiving game for Washington, but there's, there's also a big step down after McLaurin in terms of from wide receiver one to wide receiver two. All right, Ryan, appreciate you, buddy. As always, love the insight uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, to hearing your thoughts for after the game tomorrow. Thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy your weekend and, uh, and go Irish. Hey, thanks, Nate. All right, appreciate you, buddy. Uh, that's Ryan Talbot in New York Upstate taking a timeout. Matt Lombardo of Fanside is going to join us next. We'll talk more about the Washington football team that's coming up here on WGR.
All right, everybody. Got about a half hour left here of Sports Talk Saturday. Then we're um, kicking things over to my man, Pat Malacaro, who uh, will be calling the Bisons game, which will be uh, aired here on WGR at 1 o'clock, first pitch just after 1 o'clock. And, of course, UB, uh, UB football over on our sister station, the Bet 1520. But uh, for now... We will go back to the Western Hotline because my man Matt Lombardo joins me, a fan sided. He's a national NFL insider. Matt, first and foremost, happy Saturday for you, my friend. I know you, uh, like me, uh, enjoy a little bit of golf. You've been watching any of this uh, this Ryder Cup action? You know what? What I saw with Justin Thomas having the kind of two and a half footer, I was insulted. I wouldn't even do that to uh, my buddy if we were playing match play. Well, it, it, it's getting a little bit salty out there in Whistling Straits. It is definitely getting salty, but I don't think we should use, you know, uh, the level of gimmies we're giving our buddies and applying it to this, because if that was the case, uh, I'd be, you know, my, my buddies tend to, especially in the course of a round, they like to give me a couple really like, like a five footer gimme early in a round. Cause they're looking for that in the back end, you know, like they're looking for that when they need a par putt to secure like a 76, like they're kind of like waiting for me to give them a five footer. But Hey, here's, here's always the rule of thumb on gimmies and asking for gimmies. You should, a should never ask for one and B don't ever expect one in return by giving a crappy gimme to your buddy early in a round. I just like, those are, those are the rules. I'm just saying, don't, Well, I got another rule for you. I got another one. This is all about gamesmanship that if, if I were, you know, with Nate Gary and we were on the course and you made me putt that putt, if you had a putt that was just even inside the circle of trust on the next hole, I might make you stand over it. I might make you take a practice swing. And then when you're about to swing, I'd then give it to you. Yes. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah, no, that that's a great point, man. I guess I hadn't thought about that. I, I, I always – listen, it's all about mind games, okay? And uh, yesterday at, uh, at my club, I'm, unfortunately, like this weekend, we we're having a, like a scratch tournament and a harvest uh, tournament over at our club. I'm not playing because I've got some on-air duties here this weekend. But uh, one of my buddies who's the, the assistant pro there, he, he was kind of asking me for some tips because he's playing in a group against uh, one of my very good buddies. And I said the entire time, mind games. Same thing you're saying, right? Like give him the gimme right as he brings his putt back, right? Like the club back in his swing those are the sorts of mind games that you got to play in a scratch tournament which uh, i'm totally for by the way um you know absolutely i'm totally for that type of gamesmanship let's um let's shift gears because i I get the feeling you and i could talk a lot about golf all all afternoon here but i want to ask you a little bit about this washington football team who you had sort of a front row seat to last week um you know you as a you are a giants fan right like that i'm I'm not or did you cover the Giants? What what was your what I was covered, your? I, I covered the Giants. Yeah, I covered the Giants for NJ.com. Yes, that's and what I it was. Still do some work covering the Giants for fan side, and in addition to everything I do nationally. Um, but yeah, I think the Washington Football Team last week, the last two weeks, really, you know, that win over the Giants. So what Taylor Heineke did, throwing for something like what was it three forty six yeah. with a couple of touchdowns. I'm not even going to worry about the interception because it was bouncing around, and the Giants didn't really capitalize on that late. Uh, but, but, you know, if Taylor Heineke winds up doing that on a weekly basis, you found your quarterback. Yeah. And for the next two years, you're paying essentially a bare minimum salary. At some point, they're going to need to pay him, right? But you're not going to pay him an Aaron Rodgers-level contract. He's not going to be on a, a top-ten pick in the draft quarterback contract. So you can continue to build around Taylor Heineke with a really young and exciting nucleus on both sides of the ball. you got Montez Sweat and Chase Young making up arguably – uh, a top three defensive line in the league. You got some playmakers in Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. 
if Heineke is legit and if he winds up being their answer at quarterback, it just feels like their window is starting to prop open a little mm. bit in a division where everything that's going on in Dallas with all of the injuries and all the question marks, how far away the Philadelphia Eagles are and the fact that the Giants can't seem to get going on either side of the ball all that consistently – there might be a window here with Ron Rivera and the Washington football team to make a little bit of a run over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm wondering, though, the crazy thing is if we're talking about sort of a surprise here, which I think everybody thought Fitzy was going to bring a level of, he's a gunslinger. Like, there's going to be some highs, there's going to be some lows. But if they end up, you know, striking and finding a, a starting caliber quarterback, a top 25 quarterback in Taylor Heineke, that changes the game for them a little bit because of the the assets they used to get him. He was a backup last year in, what was it? It was the, um, uh, the American Football Alliance? Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable, yep. right? Like, so to see his ascension is is insane. But for me, Matt, I, I think the thing that everybody was sort of maybe just taking as a maybe taking for granted was like this defensive line is the best defensive line in football. There's four first round picks; they're all legit. Chase Young might be one of the best young defensive linemen in football, and yet he doesn't have a sack through two games. They've been trying to, you know, Jack Del Rio's been bringing more blitz than he I think is probably comfortable doing, trying to get them in more one on one matchups. Why haven't they had the success rushing the passer early on in the season, especially last week against the Giants' offensive line that isn't exactly the most impressive group? Yeah, I think last week was a little bit of an anomaly, right, because the Giants got back to what worked for them offensively last year, and that was funneling the offense through Daniel Jones's mobility. He rushes for 95 yards and a touchdown, and they ran a lot of zone-read type of designed running plays which kind of neutralizes that pass rush, right? Because if you got to worry about the quarterback pulling the ball and taking off with it, you can't just pin your ears back and get after him. Um, I thought that the Giants' offensive line, I thought that Andrew Thomas played better than he did certainly the prior week against the Denver Broncos, but they still generated pressure. I think Chase Young has something like eight or nine pressures through two games, so they're generating pressure on the quarterback. They're just not quite getting home. And if you're the Buffalo Bills, Nate, you got to be careful here because everybody came into this season. I surveyed a dozen current players, executives, coaches, scouts, including two head coaches. The Bills were the team mentioned the most, more than the Kansas City Chiefs, more than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in terms of being a Super Bowl team. Mm. And you've come out flat at home against Pittsburgh. Nobody's going to give you a lot of credit for going down to Miami and knocking off a, a Dolphins team uh, with Tua Tagovailoa going out at halftime. If they don't take care of business against this defense and they struggle again on Sunday afternoon, you kind of have to start to wonder if maybe this team wasn't reading its press clippings. And I think this Washington football team is good enough to, to put a scare into them. They, they beat the Giants by three. They lose to a really good Chargers team at home who came back on them late after Fitzpatrick got hurt. This is one of my favorite games that I'm looking forward to the most this weekend. It should be a really great matchup. And, man, I'm wondering sort of your thoughts so far early on – I. I think if you're a fantasy football player and you're, you know, an owner of Antonio Gibson, you had to love some of the reports you were hearing out of training camp. Like, oh, this is Gibson's year. The usage, you know, expect Dalvin Cook, expect Christian McCaffrey type volume and usage. And through two weeks, it has not been the case. In fact, this is a converted receiver, Matt, into the running back position. So you'd think he would have a bigger part of the passing offense, but almost all the volume in the passing game and the running back position is going to J.D. McKissick early. Do you expect that to maybe grow, his usage grow as the season moves along? And it's early, he's been a little banged up. Let's give him an opportunity to sort of grow into his role. Or do you expect this to be the split all season? 
Yeah, I think this could become a running back by committee where they kind of ride the hot hand. I mean, McKissick showed last week against the Giants that he's capable of doing what you need to do to be a focal point of the offense. I think that overall you have more versatility and maybe more explosiveness from Antonio Gibson. But Washington kind of screams to me running back by committee until somebody gets hot and then Ron Rivera rides the hot hand. I I don't know that McKissick is going to be the guy that holds up for an entire season. Uh, but, But I think when you have two running backs that can be as effective as those two are, in their scheme especially, I think it's a big boost for Washington. Matt Lombardo here, fan-sided on the West Her Highline. We're talking Bills-Washington football team. Um, I, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about the Bills and sort of your, your thoughts early on. Obviously, I think in week one, the offensive line just was, was simply manhandled and outplayed by a really good Pittsburgh defensive line. Um, Cam Hayward just absolutely ate on the interior with John Feliciano, and obviously T.J. Watt had his way as well. But it was really Melvin Ingram that I think surprised a lot of people and just how good he looked in week one. Um, but then they have a big bounce-back performance. Let, let's not kid ourselves, though. The Miami defensive line is really nowhere close to the caliber that we see in Pittsburgh. But it's that defensive backfield that I think did play fits and, um, and, 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 and really, I think, confused at times Josh Allen. They are one of the best man-cover um, defensive backfields in the league. What did you see last week against the Dolphins um, and some of their, the offensive struggles against the Dolphins? And, and do you expect to see this Bills offense? I know you talked about them sort of being the favorite amongst a lot of people within the league. And I think through two weeks, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily changed, but I think a lot of people are, are maybe raising their eyebrows about the slow start for the Bills. But are, if you're a betting man, do you expect them to sort of snap out of it a little bit, particularly this week or, or moving into some of the easier games in their schedule? they got Houston next week. Yeah, I think it all comes down to Josh Allen, right? If Josh Allen's going to be the quarterback that they paid this summer, the quarterback that played at an MVP caliber level last season, the Bills are going to be fine. Um, The offensive line certainly needs to hold up a lot better than it did against Pittsburgh. You're not going to be tested a lot. You're not going to be tested at that level every single week. But I think this week is kind of a litmus test game for the Bills because just like Pittsburgh has all of those dominant players up front, Melvin Ingram, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, we talked about it earlier. You line up against Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and Chase Young, you're to, you better bring your lunch pail to work. And if I'm the Buffalo Bills, you know, th- this is going to be the quick game. You've got to get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands quickly. You've got to look at what went wrong against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You've got to try to assert the running game. Uh, they didn't really get Devin Singletary as involved against Pittsburgh as I thought maybe they needed to to win that game in week one. Part of it is because Pittsburgh is so dominant up front. But, but if you can run the ball with Devin Singletary to set up the pass and go over the top to, to guys like Stephon Diggs, and you get Josh Allen into a little bit of a rhythm, I think that's how you counteract what happened up front. And, you know, go watch what the Giants did a week ago. If, mm. if, if, if Dexter Lawrence doesn't jump up offside on that field goal, Quote, guy, unquote. they win the game. And they win the game because Daniel Jones rushed for 95 yards in a mm. score and the offense funneled through his legs. I think that's what you need to do with Josh Allen on Sunday if the Bills are going to you know, make a statement to the nation. Matt, last thing I have for you, I, I kind of keep thinking about the league at large right now and some of the storylines going across the league, and I'm looking at a couple of teams in the AFC, particularly the Los Angeles Chargers, who, listen, I – as a fan of the Chargers, like I like what they are as a team. I, I love Justin Herbert. I think he's just so, got such a bright future in the league. I think they've got – we're finally seeing what, you know, warranted Mike Williams to be a first-round pick. I mean, he has looked 
like the top receiver on that team through two weeks. Uh, Austin Eckler, really nice player. I like what they have defensively. Really nice pieces. We're finally getting to see a, a healthy Derwin James. They lose to the Cowboys. Was that a surprise to you? As, as maybe it was a surprise to me. And and what are you expecting from this Chargers team? And just I think maybe the matchup of the weekend in uh, Kansas City and Los Angeles this weekend. Yeah, it, you know I'm I'm pretty high on the Chargers as well, especially because of Justin Herbert. I think you watch him play, and he looks like he's been in the league for five years. And looks like he has second team All Pro potential uh, just from his command of the offense, his arm strength, his deep ball accuracy, all of those things. They ran into a buzzsaw last week. Michael Parsons goes back to his natural position at defensive end, generates something like eight pressures, and just has a monster day. And, you know, the Cowboys just come at you in waves with those weapons, with, with uh, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. I think they just became overwhelmed by it, by the onslaught a little bit, especially in the second half. That's going to be a really fascinating game because, you know, the, the Chiefs really have no margin for error here. You look at what Derek Carr and the Raiders have been able to do through the first few weeks. You look at what uh, Justin Herbert has been able to do in week one and very nearly pulled it off last Sunday afternoon. Um, the Chiefs need to win this game if they want the road to the Super Bowl to go through Arrowhead. And, and I honestly believe that for as competitive as the NFC West is and how many great teams there are there, I, I think the AFC... I think the race for home field advantage is far more compelling in the AFC because you don't have that transcendent dominant team right now like you do with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the other side. So I, I, I thought that the winner of week one was going to determine home field advantage because I thought the Chiefs had a chance to go 17-0. But there's some cracks in the armor. You yeah. know, they started real slow against Cleveland. They, they got come back on against the Ravens. This is a big game, and you know the, the Chiefs' home field advantage hopes might rest on this week because you can't keep stacking conference losses and you can't lose in your division if you're going to wind up being the number one seed. I uh, last thing I have for you from that matchup last week, are your thoughts, uh, and I'm talking about Kansas City, your thoughts about the move for Chris Jones to the edge. I thought it was exploited to the max in that matchup against Baltimore. Just a bad matchup for Chris Jones, who's still sort of transitioning from playing in the interior and moving outside. What, what are your thoughts about his long-term viability at the position, and and are they sacrificing his ceiling by moving him to a position that just, I think it's clear isn't working? It's early, though. Yeah, I, I will agree. say it's I, early, Matt. I, it's early. Yeah, I think they were just so desperate to get a dominant edge presence, and they didn't really come out of one, come out of the NFL draft with one, so they put Jones out there. I'm with you. I think he's one of the top 10 or so interior linemen in the league, and to put him on the edge, I don't think that's an ideal fit for him. But, again, that's a really dominant Ravens offensive line that grounds and pounds and just wears you down with the running game, and it's a lot harder to get home against Lamar Jackson. I think this week is going to be a much better barometer, especially after what Michael Parsons was able to do against that Chargers offensive line last week. I think we'll find out a little bit more about Chris Jones' ceiling when he goes up against the Chargers on Sunday. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate all your insight as always. Thanks for always being so uh, so so great with your time and, and giving it to us whenever we ask you. We really appreciate it, buddy. Enjoy your weekend. Go Team USA and uh, enjoy the slate of football tomorrow. You got it, brother. Thanks for having me on. All right, Matt Lombardo there, a fan-sided on the West Her Hotline. Timeout, other side. I'm going to close things off. Pass it off to Pat Malacaro next on WGR. Whose idea was it to be a, to be a Notre Dame fan, anyways? You know, it just what a, what a bad call on my part. They're down. They trail three nothing Wisconsin at uh, at Soldier Field. Uh, 
their quarterback, Jack Cohn, who is a former Wisconsin transfer, um, not very good. The way you're talking about it makes it sound like you're watching a Bills drought game. What is worse than pretending to go for it on fourth and one? What is more cowardly than that? Give me a break. I oh God. Anyways, uh, here, here's an update on the Americans who um, end up with a big win um, today in the morning rounds. They're now up 9-3. to three. They could pretty much close this thing out this afternoon and basically have tomorrow's Sunday singles be a formality. Um, really great stuff this morning. They win three of their four matchups. The only matchup they lose um, this uh Hold on, I'm on the wrong ones here. Um, the only matchups they end up losing this morning um, is that morning one. The match one, Brooks Kepka, Danny Berger, they drop three and one to Rom and Sergio. Uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, Colin Morikawa, they end up going two and one over Paul Casey and Tyrell Hatton. Uh, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, a nice bounce back performance in match three this afternoon. Um, they end up winning two and one over Victor Hovland and uh, Brett Weisberger. And then match four just finished up uh, just a couple of moments ago. And uh, that was Xander Shifley and Patrick Cantlay, two and one over Lee Westwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick. That's going to do it for me. Going to kick things over to Pat Melikaro here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.